remember, remember, this is now, and now, and now. Live it, feel it, cling to it. I want to become acutely aware of all I've taken for granted. A quote from Sylvia Platt. And hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Unfounded Podcast. I hope you're doing well out there, and I want to check in on you. It's been about a week since our last meeting here, and Sober October is in full swing. And I don't know about you, but I'm feeling energized in a way I haven't felt in quite a while. I'd say arguably since last October. <laughs> That's not to say that the, uh, the past week hasn't been full of struggle. And I don't know if you're listening to this, if you've been going through pain or hardship, or if whatever burden you've decided to take on during this sober October, uh, if you felt the weight of that, I hope that you're feeling that energy, that you're feeling rejuvenated, and that you know that the path you're walking is one of honor. You know, I want to start by talking a little bit about a movie I was watching. Um, oddly enough, let me go ahead and look it up real quick. I think it's called 13 Assassins. <laughs> Sounds pretty philosophical, huh? Um, yes, 13 Assassins. It was uh, made in 2010. It's a pretty famous film, if I remember right, around that time. Um, but it's a, it's a movie um, kind of based on the 19th century um, samurai culture and kind of the end of that era and it's a very violent movie right it's very action packed um, also has a good amount of comedy throughout very well balanced movie actually I found um, a balance between that action and kind of the the gore uh, that is inherent within violence right uh, and the philosophy that underlied the culture that created that. And the latter is kind of what I want to focus on. Because there's something tricky, not tricky, there's something odd about the philosophies we see coming out of a lot of the Eastern cultures. Let's take feudal Japan, for example that out of these somewhat violent warrior cultures uh, you have philosophies that I think at the at the very base preach balance acceptance truth But they also speak of discipline, of honor. And I can't help but think as I watched, I couldn't help but think as I watched that movie that there was something, something that we've lost as we've come out of the 19th and 20th century. As we've experienced this massive expansion of things at least in the Western world, um, we've lost some of the aspects 
that bind cultures together. Especially cultures that experience violence or experience hardship. That what binds a society together, what binds people together is something like It's something like a common philosophy. An underlying foundation in which people can rely on. That I think one of the things we've come to as a society, as a realization of the lack, at least in the Western world of the United States, of the lack of a common underlying foundation, philosophy. That there's conceptions, different conceptions of what the good life means. And that, that there's something somewhat inevitable, inevitable about that. that a world full of a world as diverse as the one that we see around us as full of complexity as the one we see around us in some ways necessitates differences in that foundation but that if you look throughout history and you look at the cultures that have been the most stable for instance the feudal system in Japan, I believe, I mean, lasted for thousands of years. If you look at the systems that were the most stable, one thing they had was something like an underlying foundation, philosophical foundation on which they could base their beliefs, on which they could base their societies, even among enemies. This is something that I pulled out of that movie, that there's a two characters. It's one of the more critical components of the movie, I believe, is there's two characters both samurai, right? One, somewhat of a, what would you, what would you say? Uh, somewhat of a rogue, right? Someone who is a little bit um, critical of the feudal system, of the powers at play. And another who is loyal to those systems but what undergirds both of them is the, a common philosophy a warrior culture honor and that even as these two men realize that they're going to be enemies there's a respect that is held there. Now, in, it's hinted at in the movie that these two men, when they were young, trained together. That they were taught the same ways, the same philosophies. That they were brought up in the same culture. And even were somewhat of enemies from the start. 
if that makes sense. But also, you hear in both of their dialogues when we're, when they're talking about the other, um, a, a certain amount of respect that they hold for the other. And I think there's something like Something like a respect for the interpretation of the philosophies they were taught because they came from the same place but went on different paths, right? And I find that revealing. That many times throughout this podcast, I've argued, or I just kind of did argue for the necessity of a, a common foundation, right? But that even when you take two individuals and you raise them in a common philosophy, right? And they grow up in the same society or the same conditions. What you get oftentimes is two completely opposite perspectives. Isn't that funny? Because to me, that speaks of something deeper. It speaks of the individuality I've talked about before. That in that feudal society, I think what this was kind of, this movie was kind of focusing on was a, the ending of an era in which, in somewhat of an enforced belief existed kind of a tyrannical way in which, or a despotic way in which these philosophies were taught and enforced. And what you see out of these two characters is a, is a developing of individuality. And not only those two characters, but all of the samurai, all of the ronin uh, that, that go on, the 13, that go on to, uh, to try to, the point of the movie is to kill a certain um, ruler. But in the life of the samurai, traditionally, the samurai was a was was um, something like a knight, right? In in the Western world, it was something like an honor bound protector of the divine embodiment on Earth, which in that case would have been the ruler, right? The shogun. And in that, there's an incredible lack of individuality, right? But also a certain strength, discipline, respect, and honor. And I believe what I took from that movie is that there was a necessity for that to evolve, right? And that evolution doesn't wait on anybody. (laughs) That even in despotic times, even in times when... um, Even in times when belief is enforced... Individuality blossoms. It's something like an evolutionary rule. There's some necessity to it. And that you see in each of those samurai characters, because many of them end up dying, as they die, you see this individuality play out. But there's also an interesting 
part in that movie, and I'm gonna I won't stake on this for too long, guys. Sorry if I'm I'm dragging it out a little bit, but it, I, I I found it 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 resonated with me. This movie did at a deep level. There's a very curious part of that movie where, and I'm sorry if I'm spoiling it for you. Um, they come across a man in the mountains as they're going on their journey. These twelve at that time samurai, and he's he's like bound. <laughs> Up in the trees because he tried to, I think, uh, sleep with one of the boss's daughters, that the group that he was with. And so they left him hanging in a tree, <laughs> right? presumably for him to die or get eaten by something. And the samurai come across him and they they release him. And they're lost at the time. And so the the man who is kind of disheveled and, 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 and very for lack of a better way of describing it, ADHD, very hyperactive, very um, unpredictable, I think is a good way to describe it. Um, but also, in a weird way, jolly. Even, even as he's hanging from a tree, this kind of comedy aspect that he embodies. And initially, the samurai look at him and say, oh, who is this guy? Like He's worthless, right? He's lacking discipline. He's lacking honor. He's lacking respect for others, right? All of the things that their system is based on. And so you see this kind of animosity grow when they first encounter this man. But then also they realize, oh, we're lost. And this guy knows how to get where we're going. And so they allow him to guide them. And as they do, and as he does... You, you, you kind of, and the dialogue continues, this, this, this person that appeared um, kind of tears down a little bit of the samurai's ego, for lack of a better way of describing it, right? This conception of being the only way of being is being honorable, disciplined, and, and, and strong, right? And he kind of, he plays, he plays with them, <laughs> kind of pulling them apart a little bit, being like, stop being so serious. And also compares himself to them. I'm a strong warrior as well. And they laugh at him. But as the movie continues, they get to this point where they're facing essentially unbeatable odds and coming to the realization that they're going to need every, every helping hand they can have. And so as they stand before the precipice of this major battle, they, um, the leader of these samurai says us 13 will be fighting today and includes this disheveled person into it and as you watch the battle you you start to realize that this person (laughs) is something unique and different not defenseless not by any means arguably one of the most What's the right word? Intimidating fighters on the battlefield. Using whatever he can find. Doesn't need a sword. He can use a rock. Or a twig. Or a twig. (laughs) A stick. Right? And completely and utterly demolishing anybody in his way. Who do have swords and do have bows. Right? And all the while smiling and laughing. Which is an odd thing to see in a violent movie, right? But there comes a point where 
he confronts the ruler, he corners them, and when he's not noticing, the ruler throws a, a sword and, and catches him in the neck, and you see him lay down and, and presumably die. And so it's kind of an unexpected turn there, and so you're like, oh, oh, I thought he was going to be, you know, you feel the loss there. Hmm. There's an appreciation you realize that you have for that character for some reason and it's, it's odd because it is like i said if you if you were to if you were to embody that in a modern sense it'd be somebody somebody troll-like <laughs> in the way that they interact with people somebody that kind of prods and and plays with people you know but then at the very end of the movie all of the samurai have died save one and he's standing in the you know the battlefield and he's looking at the destruction and he's realizing that this way of life is something that he doesn't want for himself anymore that he's had enough bloodshed he's had enough discipline that he wants to experience life in its fullest at its fullest and as he's standing there having this realization guess who walks up yeah That disheveled mess of a human being on the surface comes skipping out of the chaos. <laughs> he comes skipping through the flames. And you're sitting there like, wait, 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 wait. But I saw him die, right? And I don't think the point of the this scene was to have you focus on how he came back to life. No. What I think that character represented... was something like the strength of individuality. That you cannot kill off individuality, no matter how hard you try. That you can't control people, no matter how hard you try. That people have a way of evolving out of control. Of moving up and out. Regardless of the amount of control being placed on them. And there's something beautiful about that. Because the character embodies something like comedy and love. And something like what Sylvia Plath is talking about. Remember. Remember. This is now. And now. And now. Live it. Feel it. Cling to it. I want to become acutely aware of all I've taken for granted. And in the ending of that movie, you see... The samurai, that last samurai, having this realization, I want to become acutely aware of all I've taken for granted. How do you do that? By going out and doing what you haven't done. By unrestricting yourself. By casting off the chains that you've placed on yourself. Now I think this ties in nicely to kind of Sober October and what we're going through here as a group, right? What you're doing right now is casting off the chains that hold you down. And what that'll enable you to do is to become acutely aware of all you've taken for granted. As that haze drops from your eyes, you'll be able to see clearly. And right now, it may not be that clear yet. Your eyes may be pretty hazy still. there's something in 
focusing on the now that can get you through that haze. This is now, and now, and now. Stop thinking about the future. Stop planning on what you're going to do. Stop reminiscing in the past. Stop brooding on everybody who's hurt you and everything that's gone wrong and all the ways you think you could have fixed situations. That is insanity. You're playing with something not real. The only thing that is real is now. The future and the past do not exist. Just like time doesn't. They're figments of your imagination. The only thing that is real and exists is now. And I find that there's something very liberating in that message. And I want to read a little bit more to you about who Sylvia Plath was. Because I find her a very fascinating figure as well. A tormented figure. Um, if you're familiar with any of her poetry or, or short stories or work. Um, she's, a, she's a writer who is, is, is complex. But also at a deep level tormented and you can see this in her work I'm going to kind of read a little bit about her from Wikipedia for you Sylvia Plath uh, she was born on October 27, 1932 and she died February 11, 1963 she was very young was an American poet, novelist, and short story writer she, had, she is credited with advancing the genre of confessional poetry and is best known for two of her published collections, The Colossus and Other Poems, and Ariel. Ariel was the second book of Sylvia Plath's poetry to be published. It was originally published in 1965, two years after her death by suicide. The poems in the 1965 edition of Ariel, with their free-flowing images and characteristically menacing psychic landscapes, marked... Sorry, I had to go on and read a little bit more marked a dramatic turn from Plath's earlier Colossus poems. So as you gathered in that, Sylvia Plath committed suicide at a very young age. And some of her, I've been reading through some of her poems this morning, and if you read her poems, you can specifically, um, there's one, one of her most famous ones, Lady Lazarus. Um, it's very, very, very dark. Right. And if you do read it, I want you to be prepared to encounter the ideas that are you're going to come up with there because it's a very dark perspective. But I think there's something very revealing if you if you if you realize because if you just took this quote that I just wrote you, remember, remember, this is now and now and now. Live it, feel it, cling to it. I want to become acutely aware of all I've taken for granted. If you take that on the surface, that does not seem like a dark perspective, does it? That doesn't seem like somebody tormented. That seems like, that seems like somebody appreciating or doing their very best to appreciating everything they've been given, right? But the character, the person through which that idea comes is tormented, ripe with pain, suffering, hurt. I don't know a lot about her background, but it sounds like her family life was something of a hell. And one thing I gathered just in the short 
reading of her poetry is that there was a inability to escape her past. That there was something about the the past that haunted her. That she had tried to commit suicide multiple times, right? And that each time she felt like she got closer to it, but that she felt justified. If you read in her in her in her work, she felt justified. She longed for this kind of release. And I that speaks of some kind of tormentation, some kind of some kind of weight that you can't get out from under, right? Or at least feeling like you can't get out from under. I believe this is why it's such a tragedy. To lose these kind of brilliant minds. That even even being as brilliant as somebody like Sylvia Plath, you can be so blinded by your past that you choose to not only not become acutely aware of everything you've taken for granted, but to throw it away. To try to escape something. not properly identifying the beauty that she had brought into being specifically through her enunciating her suffering expressing her individuality and i don't mean to make this dark at all guys i don't i don't want to be too dark because the reason i picked this this quote is because i find it very very energizing because i do find it true that as i do my best to try to keep myself from living in the past and the and the future what i find is that there's so many things that are right here now that i completely and utterly overlook and miss that i take for granted that i put in pause that i disrespect in a way with my lack of attention and that there's something in that affirmation i want to become acutely aware of all i've taken for granted that resounds inside of me that makes me want to do that that gives me energy to continue on the path that we've started here i don't want to take anything for granted anymore I don't want to leave anything on the table. The vice, the things that hold you down, the things that you lean on, are the things that keep you from appreciating everything that surrounds you, everything that you, that that will empower you. The the keys that will unlock the beauty that is you. It's so hard in the modern day to keep your head out of the future and the past. We live that we lead these busy lives, scrambling scrambling around like ants, you know, doing missions, doing missions all for the queen, you know what I mean? Like you know, we just got to keep going, keep going, keep going. Maybe we'll get an affirmation from up top. Maybe they'll tell us we did a good job. Good job. Good job, you know what I mean? As if that means anything. as if climbing a corporate ladder represents anything 
I think, besides your ability to bear worthless work. Work is worthless if you don't imbue it with your worth. If it's not something that comes from you deep down. If it's not something you enjoy, you're wasting your time. I see so many people that have been led so astray. That have been taught, as I was taught, that the way that you become successful is to get into a corporate position. To raise yourself up through the corporate ladder. Or whatever. It doesn't have to be corporate. The working world, right? To establish yourself as something that's financially stable and objectively successful. And someone who can go to brunch on fucking Sundays. As if that means anything. And we sit here and we look at the rising rates of depression and suicide. Mental illness in general. Not only the prevalence of this and the rising rate of it, but also our inability to solve those problems because of the systems we've created. The ways that we've taught people to deal with the world and their life. The perspectives we've given them. Through deleting any kind of deeper meaning from their life. Keeping them running on this rat race. In the, rat, in the wheel of, rat, of the rat race. That's why you feel empty. That's why you feel like no matter how hard you try... And no matter how much shit you surround yourself with, it's never enough. Need more, 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 more. You have the power to change that. You have the power to unlock the beauty within you. You always do. It's never too late. Maybe you've gotten yourself into a position where you're in a, a job that you thought you would love, but you hate. Maybe you love the job, but it demands too much of you. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you've established a life based on the finances that come along with those roles. Maybe you feel trapped in that world and unable to express yourself fully. Maybe you feel trapped in a relationship, one not based on taking the, <laughs> on living in the now, one not based on trying to see what you take for granted. Man, is that a good way to apply it in your life with your loved ones? Every single second you have with them is a moment that you can take for granted and you do it every day, don't you? These are ways in which we can seize back who we are. Learn to love again. Learn to love ourselves again. Learn to love life again. And I do mean again. Because you weren't born this way.
That love was trained out of you. That ability to live in the now was trained out of you. It was trained out of you specifically because it doesn't match up with the systems we have in place. It's a very liberal arguing point. <laughs> but it's not beneficial to a mechanistic, a mechanistic world, a secular world, a systematic world in which everything needs to be based on profit, on the future and the past. What are we going to make in the future and how well have we done in the past? Nothing on the now. Because there's something about seeing what your effect you have every single instant. If you're in one of those organizations, I worked for Amazon, right? Do you try to put yourself in the living in the now inside of one of those organizations? You'll be horrified. You'll run the other way. Because those systems are not about life, love, or, or, or bringing any kind of of balance into being. They're about the future and the past. They're about more, more, more in the future. They're about efficiency. And the product, the byproduct that I learned when I was in those, that system, what comes out of that focus on the future and the now, or in, the, in the past, ignoring the now, the consequences of what's going on, what it produces is something like evil, pain, unnecessary suffering. Yes, suffering exists. Yes, it is inherent within life. Yes, it is necessary. It is necessary for you to accept that and to embrace that. It's not necessary for you to become the thing that produces more of it or to be complacent or complicit in its production, which is precisely what happens in many of these organizations. I have so many, I talked to so many people that, that work in large organizations like that. And it's, it's such a sad thing to watch, to be quite honest. Um, because I see people looking for answers in the thing that's making them satisfied. Usually goes something like this. I'm really not happy in the position I'm in. I'm not happy in general is really the truth there, but I'm not happy in the position I'm in. Let's use a scapegoat. The position is not is what's making me unhappy because it doesn't give me enough money or whatever it is, right? Or I don't have enough power or ability to influence other people or I'm not expressing who I really am. You know, like I'm the leader and they're not letting me be a leader. So all I need to do to solve this problem is become a leader. <laughs> You're fooling yourself. There's nothing external in this world that will fix you. <laughs> not a position, not an organization, not an amount of pay, not a couch, not a TV, not a car. Not another person. The only way you find fulfillment and happiness is by expressing who you truly are. Many times, the reason you're not expressing who you truly are is because the place in which you've decided to place yourself in this modern world doesn't allow you to. 
or because it's, I've also saw, seen this a lot. Oh God, and this hurts so much to watch. Something like a problem within the HR departments <laughs> in every organization everywhere right now. But it's this political correctness control in which you try to influence people, people's thoughts, their opinions, control what they are allowed to say and what they won't, they, they can't say. It's something like, yes, we live in a free America, but you work for us, so you think like us. Yes, you're free to think however you want, just not here. That's how it goes. If this resounds with you, if this, if, if you, if, if you understand what I'm talking about right here, and you're in one of those spots, you're not alone. You're arguably one of the majority so don't be too hard on yourself most people make this mistake I think I've made this mistake but the way you solve those situations is by allowing your individual individuality to, to, to flow out of you allow yourself to really speak your mind to not hold back. To not allow an HR department to tell you what you believe and what you should think. To not allow yourself to, 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 to hold back because you think it may, hold you, it may keep you from getting a promotion. To stop living in the future. To stop plotting what you're going to say before you say it. As if you're something smart enough to actually glean what needs to be said in the future. You know how fucking audacious that is? The scheming I see people doing. As if they're all Albert Einsteins. You're not. Nice try, though. The scheming you see in politics, it crosses over. It's not only a problem in the, you know, in politics itself. Obviously, it's a problem in the working world as well. What we need is something like an underlying belief, a foundation on which we can respect each other. Because the one that we had before is currently being torn down. It's currently being labeled as inherently racist. The idea of the United States the idea of individuality, of freedom itself, this underlying philosophy of individuality being the mode in which upward expansion happens in the Western world is being torn down. A house divided, a house divided amongst itself cannot stand. I believe that's a quote by Benjamin Franklin. that the only way you get to a place that we all yearn for, especially in the political discourse, you hear people say all the time, why can't we just work together? Why can't we be bipartisan? I'm so sick of that word, bipartisan. 
It's been perverted into something like a, like a talking point. The only way we get to some kind of real bipartisanship is for people to stop bullshitting each other. To live in the now and to speak their own individual truth. To stop playing games. To stop plotting. To stop acting like you're Albert Einstein. Like you're something that's that fucking smart. Like you're going to be able to convince somebody of something else. Like you have the power to do that. Like, th- like you're actually enough. What we need is for people to understand that the only way we get upward expansion is to be honest and truthful regardless of who it hurts or who or, or what other people's opinions of it are. How it hurts you. And if multiple people do that on the political stage, at the same time, what you get is something like the best possible outcome. Not a perfect outcome, but something like the best possible outcome. That's true by bipartisanship. The only way that happens is to believe in something fundamental that we can both agree on. Like, hey, I agree that what you're saying right now is fundamentally necessary, regardless of how much I hate it. Regardless how, of how much it makes me feel uncomfortable in the moment. That if it makes you feel uncomfortable in the moment when somebody says something, it's because you're supposed to speak your own truth. You're not supposed to tear down that person or their idea. You're supposed to speak your own idea. And if your idea is true, if your idea is the thing that will help pull people upward, it will be seen as that in plain view. There's no disguising it. There's a clarity in speaking your being forward. Speaking your true intention. There's a freedom in it. I do believe the only way we get to that is for people to to stop living in the future and the past. To stop taking the things that they have around them for granted. To appreciate what they have around them. So that they know what produces happiness, joy, stability, fulfillment, so that we can scale that upwards. We're so lost as a society, we don't even know what fulfillment is, what happiness is, what truth is, obviously. Because truth is an objective, as I said in the last episode. One person saying something is never going to be true. Objectively. (laughs) It can be subjectively true to them, though. And that's what's important. Your truth. Everybody doing that at the same time. That's the United States. That's why it's so hard to control. That's why no matter how badly people want to seize control right now, they're going to fail. Remember, remember, this is now and now and now. Live it. Feel it cling to it. I want to become acutely aware of all I've taken for granted. Once you start to realize all the things you take for granted, oh, it humbles the shit out of you. You feel like an idiot. 
You realize how egotistical, maniacal you've been. How hungry for things outside of yourselves you've you've been. How how much you've tried to fill voids with bullshit. Because the thing that needs, that fills those voids has been right there the entire time. What is it? Tangibly, I don't know. For you, for me. It's the home I've created. It's the family I have. It's the love of from the unconditional love I get from my dog every day. It's the beauty I've been able to create by growing something, by nurturing something. It's the strength I feel in speaking my truth. And it's the faith I have that repeating that process is how I go up. I think that's true for you too. I don't see any way it couldn't be, <laughs> or at the very least, that's my truth. What's yours? With that, guys, I'm going to leave it there. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Unfunded Podcast, and I hope you're doing well and staying strong out there. I know I was a little bit somber and actually a little aggressive there, <laughs> um, but for some reason I felt like I needed to be, and I hope that it helps whoever's listening to this. I want you to know, as I've said before, that you as a listener are extremely important to me. The fact that you tune in and listen to me every day. <clears throat> humbling and it makes me emotional just thinking about it. so thank you and I hope you continue with us on this journey because we are over a third through sober October and whew, I'm excited for Halloween <laughs> I'm sure you are too but that's going to be a badass Halloween, I promise you. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, with that, that's the Unfounded Podcast signing off. A whole lot of love coming your way. Bye-bye.